the field of medicine as we know it is in a constantly evolving state. All the time, there are new technologies being developed that lead to breakthroughs on treatments and cures for countless diseases and ailments. But how often do we really stop to think about the researchers and doctors behind those breakthroughs? Take Dr. Carissa Schreck, for example. Dr. Schreck is an assistant professor of neurology, oncology, and neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins, where she also co-directs the BRAF Brain Tumor Center. In this lab, she and her colleagues study mutations in proteins in the brain that can lead to cancer, like the BRAF mutation, and are working on developing solutions to improve the prognoses of brain cancer patients. Dr. Shrek, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I grew up in Newark, New Jersey. Um, I was the oldest of five children. I had four younger brothers, and we were all homeschooled. My dad was a pastor, so we didn't have a ton of money. So uh, homeschooling was a way to learn a lot of things and expand our horizons while still getting uh, a deep education. And from an early age, I've always loved learning. You know, my favorite day was going to the library every week and just the world that that opened up to me. So. We were a very close-knit family and, um, you know, would learn through coursework and books and also through experiences. So I remember, you know, going to a car manufacturing plant and getting to see, you know, the product line and, and how things would go down the assembly line and, and go from, you know, a, a chassis and pieces to a fully formed car, going to a plastic manufacturing plant and seeing the similar process. And I loved understanding how things worked. Um, I loved uh, studying problems and understanding potential solutions, um, recognizing that that journey was part of the answer. So, you know, that was a big part of my childhood. So what was it that kind of sparked you down this path of engineering and of this crossroads in science and medicine? Yeah, so I always wanted to be a scientist. I knew that, you know, stating hypotheses and answering them was just in my DNA. I've wanted that my entire life. Um, when I started college, I remember distinctly working in a lab. Um, and that summer I had shadowed an orthopedic surgeon and I realized, you know, medicine was something very, very interesting as well. I said, wow, you know, surgeons have the ability to fix problems with their hands. And that really appealed to me. And then I had this crisis. I said, you know, to my mentor, well, I don't know what to do. I, I know I want to be a scientist, but maybe I want to be a doctor as well. And I'm not sure how to reconcile those. And, and so he said, well, actually, Carissa, there's a pathway for that. It's called MD-PhD. You can be a physician and a scientist and take that problem-solving bent of your brain and apply it to medical problems. And what did that look like in real time for you? Like, how did you start college and move through to your MD-PhD? And where did the brain and your interest in specific mutations that cause brain cancer start to come in? Yeah, so I was a biomedical engineering major at NJIT for college. And that was, you know, pretty early in the days of biomedical engineering as a field in its own right. There weren't sort of specialized courses or, or tracks within it in EE and ME and whatnot. Um, and so I was sort of a, a broad biomedical engineering major. And, and I loved it. I loved the way it brought together different pieces of different specialties. Um, I Again, one other formative course, my last semester, I took a course on neural networks. And uh, that for me was another eye opener. That was the first experience I'd ever had learning about the brain and learning about learning and how the brain is wired and understanding how these connections can be made and modeled through computer engineering. Um, and that was a love at first sight moment for me as well. I really fell in love with the brain and trying to understand it and then going further, understand why and how problems develop and how we can develop solutions for them. 
so I, so I became interested in neural networks and maybe neural engineering at the same time I was applying for MD PhD programs and so all my applications to medical school say I'm going to become an orthopedic surgeon and do tissue engineering research but you know when I got to medical school I learned more about neuroscience and the brain and that really started to shift my thinking I also learned about these huge holes in our understanding these gaping holes in what we know and can do for patients with certain diseases and specifically the disease of cancer so it, it turns out we have not significantly moved the goalpost for patients with brain cancer in a very long time. Uh, and, and that struck me as a huge problem that needed to be addressed. And so that's when I decided I would marry this interest in the brain and neuroscience with this huge gap in cancer and try to devise new solutions to that problem. And I took care of two patients who had this particular mutation called BRAF in their tumors. And both of those patients were able to receive a new combination of drugs different from standard chemo called targeted therapy. And both of them had their tumors shrink away for a long period of time, at least a year, one for much longer than that, um, which seemed near miraculous compared to what I was seeing on a day-by-day -day basis. And that piqued my curiosity. And I said, why has this worked for these patients? Um, why did it stop working when it stopped working? And what can we do to make this happen for more of our patients? And so I became interested in oncogenes, the proteins that become mutated like BRAF and cause a cancer to form and how we can turn them off specifically in ways that will cause the brain cancer to shrink away and die. Um, and so my lab studies those oncogenes in the BRAF pathway. Um, we study drugs that can turn them off and we study how those cancers find a way to evade it and grow back again so that we can hit them with something different. And so that's the problem that we work on in our lab. I mean, you're obviously working on some really groundbreaking stuff in your lab, but what's something that sticks out as being really exciting for you personally? Like, what are you extra proud of? Yeah, so I think the, the part that is most exciting to me is when we discover something in the lab, when we um, understand a relationship that we can then take back to patients. I see patients one day a week. Um, and I'm most proud of the fact that we have a clinical trial we're working on right now that's based on discoveries from our lab. So we've discovered something about how these proteins interact in glioblastoma and brain cancer, and we're working to move that back into people. So hopefully we can find out if this actually will work and potentially benefit some of our patients. That's, that's the main goal and that's what I'm most excited about. So I think the thing that makes me most excited is that problem solving, right? It's taking a new piece of data and saying, huh, this isn't what we thought was going to happen. Why not? You know, what, what is actually going on here? It's, it's taking a problem and saying, well, how could we try to solve that? What if? What if? What type of experiment could we do to get to the answer? Um, you know, what are some ways we could look at this from a different angle? And so I think my engineering background has given me those tools to problem solve and to think about all angles uh, when looking at a problem, at a data set in order to understand it and think about what the potential solutions could be. They're not always the simplest solution or the one we might be looking at first. Can you tell us a bit about what it's like working with your patients and alongside the colleagues that you have in your lab? So I actually think that people with brain cancer are the nicest people in the world. Um, my patients constantly amaze me with um, their resilience, uh, their strength, and their generosity and kindness. Um, it's, it's such a, a pleasure to get to work with them. 
And also the people who do research, you know, here in this community are very committed to the goal of eradicating cancer in general and brain cancer in particular. And they're just delightful to work with. Um, people that you'd want to go out with after work and not just be sort of stuck in the lab with from nine to five or whatever it is. I think um, a, a big part of what makes us work together so well is having the common goal of taking care of patients and making their lives better. So I, I frequently tell people, patients, when I meet them the first time, you know, my goal as your neuro-oncologist is to help you live the longest, best life possible. And everyone defines that a little bit different, but I'd say everyone on our research team has that same commitment. Um, I can't think of anyone on our team who sort of comes in, punches the clock and just sort of fills a desk for a day. I, everyone is very committed to um, furthering our mission here of, of trying to cure cancer and trying to understand it more deeply. And I think because of that, that commitment to our, our goals spills over and commitment to one another, right? So people will help one another out when experiments aren't working, they'll share reagents, you know. Um, I was at a scientific last meeting where people are sharing ideas about research and troubleshooting how we can help one another do a better job within the larger community, not just our lab group. And I think that's a very, very important uh, quality and one that I very much want to continue emulating in our lab group. Do you have any hobbies or interests outside of your patients and your research that kind of help keep you grounded in the middle of all of the work you do to try and save people's lives? Um, for me, staying balanced with my family is another important piece of that, remembering that as important as this job is to me, and I love it, um, there are other people who need me for, for reasons that are nothing to do with my role as a scientist or a physician. So um, in addition to my day job, I'm mom to three kids and wife to a wonderful husband, and my kids are ages 10 down to four and a half, uh, and so they're busy, so they are most of my hobbies. Um, and I think they help to keep me grounded. You know, they don't know or care, frankly, you know, what my day job is, um, but they like to talk science with me. So, you know, my 10 year old recently learned how to pronounce deoxyribonucleic acid DNA and was very proud of that fact. And he's been learning about the cell cycle in science at school. Um, but, you know, and so they, they know a little bit about my job, but, you know, having them to interact with and having that life outside, I think, um, helps to keep me grounded. Switching gears a little bit, what would you say is like the most important skill you've had that's attributed to your success? I, I think probably the most important characteristic, the most important skill is grittiness, right? Being able to stick with it when something is hard. So um, I went, you know, 16 years between graduating from college and getting my first job. That's a lot of training. Um, I didn't love every second of it, but I loved a lot of it, and I absolutely love what I get to do. I think it's positioned me to be able to answer questions and hopefully solve problems that few other people can. So I think, you know, don't let other people tell you what your passion should be. If you find something that you love, sticking with it and finding a way there, long or winding as the road may be, is really important. I have no problem getting up in the morning and thinking about going to work because I love the things that I do. I mean. So what is it that really gets you out of bed in the morning and ready for another day in the lab or with patients? You know, what is it that really excites you about all of this? I, th I think what excites me the most about the future is the pace of acceleration that we're seeing. Um, there was one new drug FDA approved for brain cancer this year, um, and there's likely to be another one next year. And that's a huge breakthrough. 
The last one was 10 years ago. Uh, and so I think we're going to continue to see progress specifically in the field of brain cancer, as well as in other cancers. And I think the reason for that will be more uh, multidisciplinary groups working together, um, people coming from different backgrounds and uniting forces to join together and solve some of these big problems. Seeing the next generation of physicians and scientists as I start to be able to train uh, them, I'm just in awe of their uh, tenacity and their brilliance. And I think there are people who are coming who are really gonna change the world. Of course, Dr. Shrek didn't get to where she is now on her own. All medical doctors go through residencies that help them get hands-on experience with patients before becoming fully independent. Dr. Shrek was able to find an attending physician for her residency and a mentor in Dr. J. Shree Blakely. Dr. Blakely, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you met Dr. Shrek and how that relationship has unfolded into the present? Uh, my name is J. Shree Blakely. I am a neuro-oncologist, which means I initially trained in neurology and then in oncology and I apply my training to solving problems for rare tumors and cancers of the nervous system. And what that looks like day to day is I am a professor at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine where I take care of patients with unfortunate um, diagnoses that often uh, include cancer of the brain or spinal cord or uh, neurogenetic conditions in which by an accident of genetics at birth, they have multiple tumors throughout the nervous system that are not necessarily cancer, but do cause a lot of harm. So at Johns Hopkins, all of the attending physicians, and in fact, all of the physicians in some form of training, either in their fellowship training or in their residency, are encouraged as part of our cultural norm to create um, collaborative relationships. And some of those collaborative relationships take on a mentorship uh, structure. And Carissa was a resident when I was a very early stage attending. Uh, she had some interest already in neuro-oncology through her PhD work and was interested in what that looked like in an applied fashion. What does that look like in your day-to-day -day clinical responsibilities and research responsibilities? So we met then and really we started our mentorship partnership then, which is um, about 11 years ago. And through that, she sought um, additional specialty training for fellowship and then uh, was recruited, very aggressively recruited, I will say, to Hopkins. You can imagine there are many people who wanted her um, and then had to you know, choose the trajectory of her career. And that is a challenging thing to do because you have to choose your research niche in a way that it, it capitalizes on your skill set, but also what you feel most passionate about. Um, and where there's funding and opportunity. So um, starting in her residency through her fellowship and now through her several first years on faculty, I have served the role of her mentor. Um, and of course, increasingly over the years, it becomes more of a peer mentorship relationship. So I, first I'll speak about the, over the years and the, the value of a mentorship relationship, which is you know, infinite in multiple directions because it becomes a personal relationship in some respects, although not really. So you're friends, but you're friends through this mentorship relationship. Chris is also a mom of three kids. I was there for all of that. My daughter was her um, babysitter during COVID lockdown when Carissa was leading a lab and taking care of patients and raising three kids, I think under seven, all at home when there was no school for them to go to. So there's that kind of support where I, I understand exactly what she was up against and we can 
share our um, multiple resources to try to get the work done because we have a trust of one another. What qualities would you say Dr. Shrek has exhibited over the years that have contributed to her success in her work? It's a couple of things fused into one person. The first is that she's uncommonly intelligent. I am. I live in a rarefied climate where everybody I work with, literally everyone I work with in every domain of my day-to-day life is brilliant, but Carissa Strand stands out as uncommonly brilliant. She can really see both the details and the big picture at the same time. The second is perseverance. It doesn't matter how brilliant you are, your grants are going to get rejected sometimes, and you have to be able to have the humility to learn from that, understand that you weren't, that's not a vendetta against you, this is how it goes, and it's necessary to persevere. If you have a good idea, learn how to reframe it, take the constructive criticism, make it better, and try again, and she definitely has that. And then I think the third is a real sense of compassion that's an authentic and organic property to who she is. Whatever she was doing anywhere, she would have compassion and investment in being part of a community, in supporting a community, in helping where she can. Um, So I think those three things together are actually quite unusual anywhere, but definitely in um, the upper echelons of, you know, science and academia. And she brings all three of those to bear in, in everything she takes on. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Carissa Schreck or any of our other heroes, be sure to check out embeddedcomputing.com.